Go ahead and open our Bibles to uh, Psalm 125. While everybody is doing that, I'll tell you what, let's open our Bibles to Psalm 125 and then um, bookmark uh, Romans chapter 9. And uh, what I mean by bookmark is, bookmark is just have your Bibles ready to uh, turn to Romans 9 because we're going to be in that this morning as well. Uh, before I start, I, I, I do want to praise God for, for someone uh, being here. First of all, uh, Brother Javier is here and, and uh, he, is, he is doing well and healing and we're praising God for that. And it's been a long time since we've seen Sister Lupita, so we praise God for her being here as well. Yes. She has been uh, she has been caring for him. So go ahead, sister. Amen. wonderful to see y'all and praise God for his, uh, his healing hand. Uh, Psalm 125, the song of ascents, says those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of the wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But to those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evil doers. Peace be upon Israel. That is the word of the Lord. Uh, this psalm really, really encouraged me this week. All these psalms have, and I told you last week the reason why we even got into this sermon series was because of the process of healing for my knee and everything that I was going through it. Um, I, I realized how much help I needed from the Lord, and, uh, and, and going through these psalms really helped me, and I started to think about the church, and I thought about a lot of you and your current situations and the struggles that you are going through, and I thought how wonderful it would be to preach on these psalms here to help encourage you that God is there uh, with you and that he is helping you. And uh, this psalm is, is wonderful because it talks about his providence, as I said before, but it talks about it in a way and describes how he guards us, how he protects us. Uh, I, I had some questions whenever I was preparing this, and then I, you know, I was asking myself these questions, and I was thinking through them. Um, and one of the questions that I asked myself and I want to ask to you today is, have you ever wondered how... Um, how you made it this far in life. You ever wonder that? Uh, you know, uh, for some of you who are in their teens, you, you probably don't think about that much. Uh, for some of you who are 20-something to 30-something, you think about it a little bit more. I'm willing to bet that those who are 40 and over think about that a lot. How you've ever, how you, how you even made it this far. Um, because here's the truth. No matter how, how quiet of a life you've led or how good of a life you've led, there's been situations in your life where uh, things seem to be out of your hand or out of your hands. And what I mean by out of your hands, I mean things that, that you cannot control, things that happen to you that 
you, you probably say, I should have been dead, I, I should have died there, but yet I walked away from that. Um, think, even think about us growing up as kids. I, I think of how archaic cars used to be in the past. Even though I prefer older cars and I love the way they look, and I think many of us here do as well, but think about the cars that you grew up in riding in. I, I remember um, taking a trip to Houston, for example, and a lot of you will probably say, yeah, I did that too, but going to Houston, back then it was 55 miles per hour, so it took about three, took about three hours to get there, or a little bit over, all right? But we didn't have a vehicle to fit all the kids in, um, in, in, a, in a car where everybody had a seat. So my parents had a great idea, and the great idea was to put a mattress in the back of the bed of the truck. Right? Hey, it was a great ride. We got to lay down comfortably, and, and this is like five kids back there riding on a little bicycle. If we had one accident, it would have been over. And I think, man, that is crazy. Now we have laws against that, so I don't prefer that. But, but back then, that was not against the law. That was something that everyone could do. So we're sitting back there in the mattress, riding all the way to Houston. It was a fun time. I, had I also think of when we're riding in the car. I remember my brothers and sisters we used to take turns where some would sit on on the seat where they were supposed to, but if you wanted to lay down, you could sit in the back windshield. There was a big old space back there where you could sit and you could just relax. And that was not uncommon. And that was not uncommon to do. We had tacos because my mom had packed tacos for the trip, and we were good to go. But you sit there and you think about those situations, and you're like, wow, how did I make it this far? How, how am I here today? And the answer is pretty evident, and we see that in, in Psalm 125. I think about specific things that I walked away from where I feel like I shouldn't. I remember a very bad car accident that I had when I was a teenager. In fact, I had just gotten my, my driving permit, and we were coming back from Quero. We were going to Fort O'Connor, and I was driving my cousin's car, and she was there with me just so that, you know, I, I could get my experience in driving. Because back then, I couldn't drive without somebody there in the car over, over 18 or 21, I think over 21. But I came to a crossroads, and I was going to, I stopped, and I saw a police car there on the side. Well, you have a And I got very, very nervous. I looked to my right, I looked to my left. It was drizzling that day. And I, I swear it was clear. I, took, I went across the highway. It was a major highway. I'll tell you what, there is a sound that I'll never get out of my head, even to this day. And I tell my wife it very often. It's the sound of a car coming 70 miles per hour closing in on us. That I will never get out of my head. It hit our car, and it, it felt like we just spun and spun and spun all over. I, it, was, it was my cousin, myself, and my uh, two little cousins in the back seat. It was all over. I, I thought it was over. But I walked away from that. And then here, here recently, eight years ago, coming from work, another drizzly day. I need to stay off the road when it's drizzling. But another drizzly day, I, I uh, was coming and I was coming from work and I, I got on a, a major highway on the feeder and I was trying to speed up. And as I was trying to speed up, my back tires were out. I had gotten up to about maybe to 60, speed limit was around 70, my back tire blew out, and then all of a sudden my truck just started to spin in my face. And then not only did it spin, I was trying to countermaneuver, it went across the grassy median, across another four-lane highway, and into the 
came to a stop. I patted myself to see if I was still alive. And I walked away from that. See, th those are common stories, I think, with all of us because I think we've all been in, involved in something like that. We wonder how we walk away. And, and the answer is that we have somebody there who is guarding our lives. We have someone there who is protecting us, and he is always there. And some people may look at those situations and they may say, well, you know what? Um, that only happened because of the weather. There are some people who said it was just strong enough, then, and if, you, and if you're, you control yourself enough, you can get away with anything. We as Christians, we believe that we are the one of those. We, we believe that the God of the Bible is the one who is sovereign. As Christians, we know and we hear it all the time that God is sovereign and, and, and God is surrounding his people and he is the one who is working things out. So there's something we have to acknowledge, that there is a God who is over us. And if he's over us, it means that he has ordained the events of our lives and that he governs us by his providence. That's the conclusion that we come to whenever we uh, read this passage and also when we read the Bible in general. He is the one true God. You see, the Bible says that all glory should go to him because he preserves us. I want you to think about what God preserves us from, what he saves us from. He saves us from our sin. I told you last week, things in my life. There's many more. There are things that happen to you all the time that, that God saved you from. He saved you from danger. Most of all, he saves us from ourselves. Uh, you know, we, we need saving. We, we need watching. And he saves us from ourselves. And it's a, it's a wonderful and beautiful thing. Our passage here says that the Lord surrounds his people. And this surrounding that he does, this protecting that he does, is not just uh, temporary. It's not just here and now. If you look at the passage, it says that he surrounds his people uh, today and uh, forevermore. Uh, from this time forth and forevermore. So Psalm 125 really tells us a lot about how God protects us. But there's some work that we have to do this morning. And um, I, I want to get into this passage and answer some questions. The Psalm talks about how God surrounds his people or how he protects his people. Uh, question number one that I want to answer for us this morning is who are God's people that's that's what I want to figure out who are God's people I think everybody knows but I think it's important for us uh, to look at that and then also question number two is what is what is, what does it mean for God to protect his people what does it mean for God to protect his people and then the third question that I want to answer this morning is why does God protect his people okay so it's kind of like a, a who, what, and, and, no, it's a, it's a, let me see, let me back up. Who, what, and why kind of thing that we're going to do this morning. Uh, who are God's people? What does it mean for God to protect his people? And why does God protect his people? So let's start off with the first one. Who are God's people? Uh, the very first thing that's evident in this passage is uh, the mentioning of God's people. It starts off 
those who trust in the Lord. And it says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Um, it, it's really cool stuff that's going on in this passage. There's some figurative language. It talks about Mount Zion. And when we see Mount Zion, it is a, that is an actual geographical, uh, geographical location. It was a place in Jerusalem. But here in this passage, it's used figuratively, and it's used to describe the nation of Israel. Um, the fact that Israel cannot be moved speaks of it being well-guarded. And not only being well-guarded, but it speaks of being preserved by God. So it cannot be moved because God is the one who is protecting it. So in essence, what is being said here is that Israel cannot be defeated nor destroyed. Not because they have the strongest army, not because they're the greatest, the greatest nation, but they cannot be defeated nor destroyed because they have a protector, and that is God. Now, this is where we get to tie in, and we, this is where we get to uh, relate this to ourselves. This is because this is not speaking to all or only those who are physical descendants of Israel. In order for you to really get the New Testament, you have to understand figurative language. And you have to understand when, when God is speaking about his, pe his people figuratively and what relates to us in the New Testament and also what relates to us today. So he is not only speaking of those who are physical descendants of Israel, but he is speaking of those who are spiritual citizens of the true Israel. And those who are spiritual citizens of the true Israel are us. We are the church. happen for us. But I, I want to make this connection. This is the time where we turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans 9, and I, I want to read verses 4 through 8 for you. Because I think Romans 9, 4 through 8 does a great job in explaining um, who these great promises belong to. Romans 9, 4 through 8. And the Bible says, speaking of the Israelites, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. So verse 4 tells us how blessed Israel is. And this is speaking of the descendants of Israel, the physical descendants of Israel, the nation of Israel. Then verse 5 says, To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Now verse 6 here is wonderful. But... It says, it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are de descendants of Israel belong to Israel. And not all who are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Verse 8, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as are counted as offspring. You see, this is what God is saying in that passage. He is saying that those who come to faith in Christ, that, that that is Israel, that is the true church. 
So when we ask ourselves, who is or who are the, the, the people of God? The people of God are his church. The people of God are those who have trusted in Christ with their lives. We could even make a, a, a further distinction because sometimes we think, okay, well, if I'm a church member, then that means I'm, I am a, a child of God. That may not always be true. It comes down to your faith in Christ. It doesn't matter what a piece of paper says. It comes down to your faith in Christ. Do you truly believe that he is your savior? If you do, then you are people of the promise. The Bible says you have been grafted in and you are his people. And if you are his, then this psalm this morning is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing, and, and you should really place your hope in it, and I hope that it, it encourages you. See, because we are the people of the promise, and it's wonderful because Romans 9, it continues on, verses 15 and 16. It says, uh, this is where God says to Moses, and it's a great example for us here, but it's recorded here in Romans 9, 15 and 16. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but get this but on God who has mercy. The wonderful thing about God's covenant that he made, and, and all this, what we're talking about this morning, this psalm here, this is covenant language. This is God saying, I will protect my people. Remember, we can go back to the very beginning in Exodus where God made a covenant with Moses. And that covenant, that, that initial covenant, even going back all the way into the garden, that initial covenant stretches from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And it's God continually protecting his people. See, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. That's speaking about us. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. And when one uh, Romans, uh, excuse me, when Psalm 125 says, um, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. That's talking about us. And he is not with us temporarily, but the passage says, from this time forth and forevermore. God is protecting us. So when we talk about who are the people of God, it's those who have placed their faith in Christ. Secondly, what does it mean for God to protect his people? I think this is very important here. Because I think a lot of people will read Psalm 125 and they'll make it whatever they want. And that has happened a lot in the prosperity gospel in many churches today where they feed you a gospel that says, God is just there to do your bidding. He, you see, he's promised you right here in Psalm 125. And if you have enough faith, it will happen for you. That's not what Psalm 125 is saying at all. It says, um, first of all, we, we clearly see in this passage that God is saying that he is going to protect his people. But my question is, what does that mean exactly? Well, if you look at the psalm, it starts off with uh, cause and effect. It says, those who trust in the Lord, dot, 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 
uh, are like Mount Zion. They're immovable and everlasting. So because you trust in the Lord, then you are immovable and everlasting. Then it says, the Lord surrounds his people. And since he surrounds his people, then they are protected now and forevermore. So those are great two promises for us. But how, how do we interpret that? How, how, can be, how can believers read that and relate it to their own lives? I think that can be really difficult if we're not careful. You see, we know, we have to know that this isn't a promise that life is going to be just wonderful all the time. It doesn't matter how much faith we have, it, it does, life is not going to be perfect. I mean, we are told by our Lord and Savior that in this world we will have trouble. So we have to prepare ourselves for that trouble. So we, we're not going to live a life with no problems and no suffering. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. We have to deal with sin. So we are going to experience pain and loss. Psalm 125 is not saying you're not going to, you shouldn't have to experience pain and loss. That is just not true. And to read that into it is not doing justice to what God is saying in his word. But listen here. Although we struggle with sin and suffering, the protection of the Lord is over our lives. And the Bible says that his protection over our lives makes us immovable and everlasting. You see, his protection and our lives are immovable and everlasting because he is immovable and he is everlasting. Now, in order for us to truly understand the meaning of God's protection over our lives, we can't just look at the here and now. Because if we just look at our lives now, then, then we'll think God has failed us. Why? Because there's suffering, there's loss, there's pain. We deal with sin every day. And if we're reading Psalm 125 and we're thinking, well, where's my protection at? Because, I mean, all this has happened to me. Why has the Lord failed me or where is he at? If we just look at the here and now, then we won't have the right perspective. We have to look at our lives eternally. We have to. In order to gain the perspective that is the right perspective out of Psalm 125, we have to look at our life from an eternal perspective. If we do that, then we'll realize how much God really protects us and cares for us. Now, here are some questions. Does God prevent us from suffering pain? No. Does he prevent us from suffering loss? No. Sickness? No. Heartache? No. Depression? No. Death? No. He doesn't prevent that from us. And what I mean by prevent, I mean, does he just keep that totally away from you? Doesn't let you experience that? All of us can answer no. That's ridiculous. We deal with those things every single day. So then how does God help us? How does he protect us? You see, because of his protection and because of his constant presence, during our struggle, he gives us mercy. 
And the wonderful thing about his mercy is that his mercy is sufficient for us. And it's his mercy, this is the wonderful thing about it, his mercy is tailored for you. He doesn't handle us all the same way. And I think that all those who are parents and grandparents in here, I think you can understand that. Having kids of your own, you don't, if you have multiple kids, you don't handle your kids the same way. And what do those kids do? They complain like crazy because they don't have the same things that other people have. God's mercy for you is sufficient and it's tailored for you. And that's how he protects you helps you, and governs you through all your struggles. So he doesn't say, I'm going to prevent you from going through those things, but while you're going through those things, I am going to give you mercy. Listen to this out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is verses 8 and 9. Paul's talking about, Paul's talking about, in essence, uh, he's talking about believers. He says, we are afflicted in every way. but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. That, that's the essence of what I'm talking about. We have trouble and our trouble is great, but his mercy is more. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So in our trouble, in our struggle, he preserves our lives through our pain and he sustains us through our suffering. What a wonderful God we serve. I think about that and I think about Psalm 23. I think about the part of Psalm 23, especially verse 4, where it talks about that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there's that promise. He is with us. And his rod and his staff, that they will comfort us. So, whatever happens to you in this world, know that God will not fail you in protecting you. Why? Because he is your protector. And because he is your protector, you will abide forever with him. You see, his presence in your life is from this time forth and forevermore. Then the last question. Why does God protect his people? The psalm ends with this. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Now, I can't help but see the clear distinction between the way God handles the lives of those who are good and those who are not good. I think all of us in here, at least I hope, we understand what this language is saying. From a creature to creator perspective, we must understand that none of us is good. That we all have failed, only God is good. But what's beautiful about this psalm is that those who trust in, 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 in God, that's why they are considered good. You see the connection? Because God is good, those who trust in God are good. 
So we who trust in Christ, we who have placed our faith in Christ, we can be considered good because Christ is good. And it says that that his righteousness, when he died on the cross, his righteousness was imputed upon us. It was given to us. So what this passage is talking about is it's still talking about the church. It's not saying that those who do good and only do good, but it's talking about those who have placed their faith in the one who has done good. So then, therefore, we can be considered as good. So for us, the church, the psalm says, Do good, O Lord, to those who are good. This is a prayer. This is a prayer for God to watch over our lives, to help us, to give us what we need when we need it. But as I sit here and I think of Psalm 125 and I ask myself, why does God protect his people? It's kind of tough for me. Even though I understand the concept of, you know, we are only good because of Christ. As I look out in the crowd and, and mainly as I look in the mirror. I know that good people do horrible things. Good people do horrible things. And when I say good people, I'm I'm talking about Christians this morning. Christians, true, loving, believing Christians can do horrible things. In fact, if we're honest with ourselves, there's a lot of work that we need done. Doesn't matter how long we've been a Christian. There's a lot of work that we need. We get up every morning and we fail God. When we read the Old Testament, we read about all these wonderful uh, men of faith. We see how they failed God. We should read ourselves into those stories because we are just like them. They're a picture of us. So when we see that we have failed God, we ask ourselves, why does he protect us? Why does he help us? We must know that it's not because of us. But again, we go back to our Savior. We are protected because of Christ. He died on a cross for us. He took away our sin. He ascended into heaven. He seats at the right hand of God. He intercedes for us. And it's through him that we have the protection that we have. See, there's a lot for us to be thankful for. The fact that we live, move, and have our being, that that is because of Christ. So when we look at Psalm 125 and we, we celebrate it because we know we are God's people, we must know that there's a price attached to that psalm. There's a price for our protection. And it's a price we did not have to pay. But there is one who paid it. And he is our Lord and Savior. So our response to him is to give him praise, to give him honor, to serve him, and to be thankful that we are counted as his children. Now I want you to think about that as far as your life goes and what you're dealing with here and now. We've already gone over four psalms, and they all talk about how God helps us. Now, whatever it is, I know it's tough. 
Maybe it's something that happened in the past. Maybe it's something that's happening now. Maybe it's something that you know is going to happen in the future. His mercy is sufficient for you. He's watching over your life. Trust him. Obey him. Learn from this experience. And continue to serve him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this.